Hey everyone, I'm Ari, here with Rachel, and we're your hosts for the Merry Writer Podcast. This week we're on episode 193, and we're joined by a guest as we ask, how can you build a horror universe? Before we dive into the topic, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, if you haven't already. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with friends and feel free to write a review. Now, please help us welcome Wilmar Luna back to the show. Thank you again for agreeing to be on the podcast again. It's a pleasure to have you back. Thank you guys for inviting me again. It's actually been quite a while. I, last time I was on the podcast, I wasn't even married yet. So it's good to chat with friendly faces again. Likewise. And congratulations on getting married. Yeah, the last time Wilmar was on the podcast, it was episode 58. So do go listen to that because I'm sure it's interesting. I don't even remember what the topic was about necessarily. How to deal with but- bad reviews. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, go listen to it <laughs> before we go further. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners why you chose to talk about horror universes? With a horror universe, I think some people, you have this thing where you have to write a certain amount of of monsters. You have to write this lore. You have to create this mythology. And it's hard to keep track of all those things. So what inspired me to write a horror universe was a question. And this is a question I'm going to ask you guys, which I think you'll, you'll really like. And I encourage the listeners to also participate. What makes Dracula evil? I wasn't even sure he was evil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know too much about Dracula, to be brutally honest. Are we, are we, yeah, are we talking like the original Dracula book, which I also read recently? It could be Dracula, it could be vampires, but why, why do we consider vampires or these types of creatures evil? I think we, we have a habit of humanizing things i mean we even look at like you know the monster lion that attacks people or the killer crocodile and it's like they're just animals doing something and if you even take it to the preternatural side with vampires the concept is they have no soul so are they evil or are they just doing what they do same with werewolves the whole point is the humanity is lost beneath the wolf which is the instinctive primitive side just doing what it does so that's my answer what do you think so rachel deep. That was so deep. I can't compete with that. (laughs) I mean, I think vampires are pretty cool because they get to sleep in coffins and they don't have to see people during the day. So to me, that's not really evil. That's just them being antisocial. And I'm here for that. I support it. That's a tough question because I never really thought about it. And to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about vampires or anything Mm. like that. My generation kind of grew up with Twilight, so I don't agree with that type of vampire, but that's kind of what sticks in my head, pretty much. All right, so we'll follow up then with, let's say in general, why do monsters want to take over the world? That's a good question. Why? Why would anyone want to take over the world? Humans are dumb. (laughs) They could probably do a better job. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, if, if people think that they can do a better job than humans, then... Yeah, why wouldn't they want to rule? So that's kind of where this whole idea of building a monster universe started coming from. I started asking these questions. For example, in the fantasy stories, right, you have grimoires. And then there's the sorcerer that's looking for this grimoire so he can access or he or she can access this forbidden magic that will allow them to raise the dead or to do anything that has like, ooh, catastrophic cataclysmic world ending powers. But I asked, who wrote the book? How did they how did they figure out how to write the book? Where did they come up with the symbology? Are are you guys familiar with any stories where they actually talk about the authors of these books? That's a good point. Yeah. They usually it's it's like anything. It's like, oh, you know, this the special amulet or the the spell that does this or that. And it's like, yeah, there's almost never history on it. It's just there is a magical amulet that raises the dead. Or there is a spell that melts people's faces and it's all that kind of thing. And it doesn't really go into who created it or. Right. Exactly. So that's one of the things that really when when I wanted to get into the horror universe and I, I do want to put this caveat for any new authors, creating a horror universe isn't necessary if you're just doing a one off story. If it's just a story where, you know, you just had this idea in your head or it was a nightmare that you can just kind of scribble down onto the page and hit publish, you're fine. When you want to create a horror universe is when you're planning on having a series of stories and they're interconnected in some way. And all of these creatures and mythology and uh, monsters, these are all interconnected. 
So you want to have that guidebook, that reference book. So that way, as you're scribbling along, trying to come up with ideas, you have this resource that you can tap into where you can basically say, okay, what, what did I say? Where did this amulet come from? What does this statue mean? What is all this for? And that's what creating the horror universe guidebook is really more what it is, is a reference guide. So that way you can go back to this document and look at it and say, oh, this character died because he was murdered here. And this caused this home to be haunted by this creature or this ghost or this demon and all sorts of cool stuff. <laughs> I like that. That was that was very intense. And those questions have already made me sit there thinking a bit deeper about something else. It's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, there's, there's often something behind the information we're already given. So right. with that being said, it actually works really nicely leading in to our first question. How much world building does need to go into a horror universe? Think of it this way. Does the reader actually need to know where your monster comes from? Does he or she need to know the origin of evil? Not necessarily. The reader doesn't need to know any of these things. And the reason they don't need to know is because the mystery, the lack of understanding, that's what makes it scary. When you don't know where it's come from, when you don't know why your sickly mother who was in hospice is suddenly walking around on the first floor, shambling throughout the floors and you hear the creaky floorboards. You don't know why she can get up, but you, the author, you need to know. You need to know everything about the universe. You need to know why all of a sudden this was able to happen. You need to know what caused this to happen because this is what helps you create a fleshed out world where even though it doesn't make sense to the reader, it makes sense to you. And through the clues that you leave behind, they can piece together the backstory without you having to explicitly tell them. So uh, one example I've had is like when I've, when I've asked about the grimoire, like who wrote the grimoire? I was thinking to myself, well, if I was going to flesh out my world and I wanted to know who wrote these books, because, you know, who, who's just sitting around writing weird symbols on pieces of paper, I would imagine what if the author was being influenced by something evil, right? What if there was a spirit or a demon that was communicating to the author and it takes the form of what seems like madness, that the author is is hearing voices and they're thinking, uh, I, I don't understand what these things mean. And it just possesses them to start writing these symbols down and, and words. And now all of a sudden you have this spell book that you can now use in order to summon a demon or to control a demon or something like that. So that's where I think having this, this reference guide will allow you to build on these different concepts. So you can, go to so basically like if we go into the nitty-gritty of like how to build it you would go into word or scrivener whichever program helps you create like headers and outlines and you're going to have a header that says you know characters uh worlds spells magic different universes all of those things are going to have their separate headers and then within those headers you're going to fill out the characters where for for my story right i have this this one-off horror story of a detective investigating the passing of an individual. And I was struggling with how to write it because I thought, oh, I'm, just, I'm a pantser. I can just figure it out as I go along and I'm just going to fill everything out and just go boom, 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 boom. We're going to have all this information. And all that ended up happening was I ended up writing myself into roadblocks, dead ends, plot holes, continuity issues, and I had no information. I didn't understand why the monster was haunting this place or why this character died or why this murder happened. None of those things made sense to me because I didn't have an established universe of which I can be like, oh, but maybe this is related to that. One of the things that you want to do when you have a universe is you want to keep in mind your themes. You know, what what does the character mean in terms of your story? Why is this character important to resolving the issue or obstacle or conflict that you have happening in your story? And what is the theme behind it? So when I went to build some of my reference guide, I started thinking about what what, what were the things that I even wanted to write about? What am I scared of? 
And that's something that I'd also ask you guys, what are you personally afraid of that you think could be interesting if you wrote it down on paper as a story? It's really weird. I was talking about this with my partner who loves horror movies and I watch them. I can watch some horror movies, not other horror movies. And we like different things. I mean, he can watch all sorts. He likes a lot of the international stuff that's just like crazy. I have to watch things that are a little bit less. I don't like anything gory because mm. I don't like I don't really find that scary. I just don't like that sort of thing. But I am more scared about it's it's the apprehension. You know those movies where it's the the score is is playing a certain type of move uh, a certain type of mood. You, you kind of get the, the that that little part of you that little. Like the the id part of you that's still very animalistic that reminds you that we used to be scared of the dark and why we were scared of the dark and what used to hunt us in the dark and you still kind of get those little palpitations and I can watch a movie where it keeps building up and then nothing happens you know where they they open the the medicine cabinet and then they close it and you think there's going to be something in the mirror but there isn't because they've played that so often and it makes you just get a little bit more stressed and that is actually more terrifying, that build-up of anticipation where you, just, you literally go, just come out and try and kill me already. That is, that's where I actually get the fear from more than some, you know, serial killer with an axe. Because you think, well, I can, that's something I can plan for. Or I can, at least I can think, right, well, okay, it's got an axe. What have I got? But if you don't know it's an axe murder, if you don't know it's a vampire, and you, it's like, what is it? Could be Cthulhu coming through the goddamn door. And if you don't know, you can't plan for it. And it's that not knowing, it's that, constant anticipation that terrifies the crap out of me so that's my answer i think that's just it though it's your imagination you let your imagination just run wild with it and we tend to overthink things so much because i do agree with you it's like the suspense of it all i am not i mean i'm not going to be a good asset to this conversation because i don't read horror really i i like the suspense i don't like the spookies but I will say that I do enjoy a good psychological thriller, and I'll use Alice Feeney's Daisy Darker story again as an example, which I think I just talked about in like our previous podcast episode. That story, it was like a locked room type story similar to Clue. Everybody was getting murdered, but there was just this unseen, unknown force doing it. And you would see a character one moment, turn your back for a second, turn around, and they were propped up like a doll, just dead. And I read it when I was dog sitting. So I was home alone with an over-friendly dope of a beagle and a 10-year-old St. Bernard who is just too gentlemanly for his own good that I was like, if I die tonight, nobody's helping me. <laughs> this is, And it really, it scared me because your mind, it yeah, it starts going and you don't know who is the killer? Is it one of the characters we've met? Or is there something or someone else in the house? And yeah, it really, it gets your heart going. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I was always scared of the aliens from the alien movie. I mean, you know, they have the face hugger, the face hugger gets on your face and all of a sudden you're impregnated with this alien that all of a sudden bursts outside of your chest. That creeps me out. That scene is still terrifying. I get uncomfortable watching that scene. So then when they announced these sequels where they're talking about aliens, Promethe uh, Prometheus and then aliens covenant. And they said, oh, well, the aliens were created by this. Then I was like, uh, you just ruined this entire franchise for me. You've now told me where the aliens come from. And I don't find it as scary as you think it is. And now this is no longer fun. And I'm pretending that this doesn't exist because You've now ruined the unknown. You've taken that away from me. I'm no longer afraid because I know. One of the obstacles that you'll run into in horror is that if you keep reusing the same character, eventually they get hardened to it. And eventually it's like, oh, yeah, this is just another ghost that's walking around in the attic. So I just need to get some salt, throw it all over the door, and you should be gone within the next two days. You know, they become like an exterminator rather than someone's like, oh my gosh, what is that? So that's one of the obstacles and one of the reasons why I think having a universe, a horror universe would come in handy is that you can come up with a whole bunch of different creatures and monsters and scenarios that you can tap into so that your character doesn't get too hardened. Everything that you write down can be a new experience. So you can have this huge list of all these different events that have happened in the past. You can talk about, you, you can basically explore 
the origin of that cursed talisman. You can explore the books that we were talking about that were cursed. You don't have to tell the reader. The reader doesn't need to know how those things became cursed. But when you have that knowledge, you can then put those items in front of the protagonist and have a new horror experience for that protagonist because they don't know what's going on. The reader doesn't know what's going on, but you know what's going on. And now you can create that anticipation. You can create that suspense. You can build that fear of the unknown because you have control. And that's what that that guidebook is for, is that you can now build up all of the scenarios. You can create this whole stage where it's like, all right, and now this comes in and then that comes in. And I know why this is coming in. They don't know. If, if the protagonist figures it out, then maybe they will solve the mystery and the story will be finished. And that's kind of the the concept I went into with the horror universe that I'm currently working on is it's called sanctification. So basically the detective is tasked with solving whatever caused a haunting or curse to take place in that area. And they can't leave that area until they figure it out. So what will happen is as soon as they're like, it was the boyfriend that killed the brother or something like that. Then all of a sudden, the detective's talisman starts illuminating, the area becomes purified, and now the ghosts are gone. And the detective, at least in the beginning, is standing there thinking, am I losing my mind? Did I just make all this up? Was this even real? Or did I actually cleanse something? And you don't, the reader doesn't know. And, he, and the detective doesn't know. But you know, you know exactly what's going on. So now you've got this whole thread where you can be like, the detective is constantly questioning, is this real? Is, is all this stuff that I'm doing, is that actually cleansing stuff? Or do I need to go see a therapist and take some meds? Am I, am I schizophrenic? Am I hallucinating? Or is this actually happening? And as we follow that through little thread and you know everything that's going on, you can say, guess what? It actually is happening. And this is all real. So that's definitely one of the big, huge benefits, I think, of having that big old guidebook, whether it's a Word doc or a Scrivener doc, where you can literally just dive in and just be like, all right, this thing here, this is what caused this. One of the other things that I also started exploring, and I don't know, I don't know, if, maybe this will be for the gamers that are around, but there's a game called Castlevania. Uh, Rachel knows. I know Rachel knows. That's why I think I, I do. I do. <laughs> I've never played it, but I've watched other people play it. It's a good series. Yes. So Castlevania is your classic. Dracula is evil. Go to his castle and kill him. Right. So I I like the idea that Dracula in the game was more of a force of nature rather than a man who is angry that his loved one got killed and now decides he hates humanity for the rest of his life. And it's like, dude, she died like 5,000 years ago. I know that grief runs deep, but we need to work on ourselves and move on and let go of grudges. You know, let, let's not focus on enslaving humanity. And I think that trope of like a loved one dying to be your motivator for why you want to do evil, I think that's really overplayed and it's not interesting anymore. But the Castlevania game series, I thought it had a very interesting use of, it used all the classic literature monsters. You've got Frankenstein, you've got the mummy. All these monsters kind of come together to stand in your way. And I basically wanted to create my own universe where I could use those different kinds of monsters. But I didn't want it to be based in like a... Uh, the typical European setting with the medieval castles and the drawbridges. I kind of wanted a different environment, but I wasn't really sure where to go with that. So I ended up playing a game called Blasphemous. And now we're going to talk into what actually scares me. I am terrified of religious iconography. So an upside down crucifix, Jesus suddenly bleeding for no reason, a statue, you know, the statue of the Virgin Mary looking down and blood coming out of her face that gives me the heebie-jeebies i don't like it it's very scary it makes me uncomfortable i even took a picture my wife and i went to uh, a place called uh, new hope in in my area and there was a cemetery up on a hill where we parked because we couldn't find parking and we're like well you know it's like it's kind of like sunset so why don't we go explore for a little bit and we go in and there's the statue the creepy statue that i'm telling you guys that scares me 
that I took a picture of and I'm like, this is why I don't like this because this makes me creepy. And I can, I can email it to you guys or share it to you guys later so you can see uh, what it is. But basically the game Blasphemous is all of that scary religious iconography times a thousand. And it has like priests on floating chairs with spears and a woman who melted her face with gold and is deformed and has this horrible disfigurements just all the scary stuff that i don't like and i'm like well that's what i need to write because it scares me <laughs> right i mean if if you're gonna write something scary you gotta write what scares you so so that's how that came about is that you know what this is what scares me so now i gotta figure out how to write it myself so that everyone else can be scared too because i don't want to be alone in this Everyone else must suffer with me. <laughs> I kind of understand that because I think I think that works with horror. It's like you should write something that kind of scares you a bit. It because it's like that's how a good, it's a good way to know. It's like well, if you feel a little apprehensive, what apprehensive? 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 There it is. If you feel a little apprehensive while writing it, then you know that that's probably going to translate to your readers. Because it does, doesn't it? It's like you put that sort of thing in, you put your emotions into those words and it's going to it's gonna leak out and people are going to start feeling it. Definitely send us that picture. We might be able to stick it on the YouTube <laughs> channel so it pops up when you say that bit so everyone else can see it. Scare a few other people. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, <laughs> scare. <laughs> uh, I have to say, regarding like the, um, the guidebook and everything, I always love those. I think they are the best, especially if you're writing multiple books because it's hard to keep shit together. Mm -hmm. It really is. And I have found um, whenever you start building a world and you put that sort of information in, as you said, there's always stuff that you know that other people don't know. The reader never knows. But I always find that as you're writing and adding those pieces in, other ideas are popping up. So you're putting in like, oh, this is where they found the grimoire. This is where the, um, this is what happens when the amulet comes in contact with this specific stone on the floor inside this old abandoned church. And then you'd be like, oh, okay, I can actually do a spin-off. I can do like a, a little bonus um, story, a short story, or, oh, that's actually, yeah, I can take that side character who people were starting to like, because there's a whole area where I've talked about the, the you know, the demology of um, other countries. And it's like, well, they're going to go traveling. Oh, wow, we could do that. We could take him over there and bring that in. And I, I always think if, if you can write some form of guide for your stories, because there's such a well of ideas that you don't realize until you're writing them. 100%. Like, you... I think uh, one of the questions we haven't touched on yet is like, how do you build the atmosphere, right? Like, how do you how do you create that atmosphere once you have that horror universe? And what you talked about is exactly the kind of things that help you give uh, come up with ideas, because there's a very different there's a very different feel and description when you're writing American horror or European horror versus Chinese horror or Filipino horror or something from, you know, an Asian country. So one of the things that you can also keep in mind with the guidebook is like, it, it'll help kind of keep things cohesive. So if you're doing, let's, let's do a typical American horror, right? You have Freddy Krueger or Jason, all right? That's a classic slasher. You know, they go around, they kill virgins with their axe. And then, you know, that's what makes them scary is that they're just indestructible. You can't stop them. You fall asleep. They'll kill you. And then you go over to Asia and it's more about a thing called the Shangxi. I don't know. I don't know if that's the proper pronunciation, but basically they're vampires that hold out their arms forward and they hop because their bodies are stiff from rigor mortis. And when they come close to you, they absorb your life force. These are all things you can explore if you've built out your horror universe so that way you don't accidentally put in elements that don't belong in like you don't accidentally put the Chinese horror into your American horror. Like there's nothing wrong with doing crossovers, but people might be a little confused and be like, uh, I don't understand. Why is this suddenly taking place? Because they would have a completely different set of rituals or dispelling ways to get rid of a Chinese monster versus American horror. So when you're, when you've got your guidebook, right. And you've built all this information and you have all these resources you can draw from. Now you can start thinking about what you're going to use for vocabulary. Cause the vocabulary is obviously the most important part when we're talking about, you know, the gray eerie skies and the wind forlorn, 
breezing over the <laughs> countryside, you know, that's what starts coloring your description to build that atmosphere because you're 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 finding those words from the guidebook that you've written. So once you go over to say another country, then maybe your words change a little bit and your descriptions change a little bit. But that's how you can kind of tie everything together is how how you use your descriptions. And that will help create that universe where you you can either you can focus on the emotions like loneliness or the darkness, the unknown, not being able to know what's coming up ahead. You're your solo. One of the things that I did for the the story that I'm working on is I created prayers for the the I don't know how to how to put this, but the substitute Jesus will say is that I want I wanted to basically come up with with a horror universe where I have a biblical figure, a biblical religious figure, but it's not Jesus, it's someone else and this person was actually the embodiment of evil, right? A complete flip. So I don't want I don't want the population to know that this person was evil. I just wanted the reader to maybe have some kind of hints that something's wrong, but everyone's just praising this figure like, oh yeah, this is this is our Messiah, this is our savior. And you have the prayers that are your your psalms, your hymns, and they're all talking about worshiping this figure. But you as the author know they're worshiping something that's completely evil and it's kind of flipping it, flipping it on its side. That is a really interesting way of doing things because it takes something that many, many people know and in your words, completely flipping it upside down. And it kind of leads people in the wrong direction. It gives people false hope almost. And then when the realization sets in, they're just like, oh, shit. Yes. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. I like that. I, <laughs> I like that a lot. I got to backtrack for a minute. We were talking about like the grimoire for a moment. You're making me think so deeply on a short story that I started writing a couple of months ago because that story is based around necromancy. And there is a book of necromancy that one of the characters is drawn to and he puts it away and he's like, I don't want to say cured, but like he's he doesn't think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. But then another character comes to him knowing that he has dappled in necromancy before and she lost someone that was like on their party. It's a medieval fantasy. And she's like, I just want to talk to them. And I know you dapple in necromancy. Like, could you just teach me a couple of things? And he's like, no, nope. And then he disappears with the book and it kind of like resets. He kind of remembers, oh, I have this thing. I have this power. But I never thought, where did that book come from? <laughs> Who wrote it? And I didn't even think that I would need to know that. Right. And it's just, you're making me think of all these things and just like building the atmosphere of it all and just tying everything together with the emotion and how you mentioned vocabulary and the description. What about lack of description? How could you use that to your advantage? The lack of description will come in handy once you have the protagonist exploring that unknown area where they don't know what's coming. So that that lack of description, you have to find a way to translate that. And and really lack what lack of description means is you're still describing stuff, but you're not including those details that kind of spoil the gag, right? So you're you have to figure out a way to translate that lack of description into what the protagonist doesn't know so that the reader doesn't know. And one of the things that I run into is that uh, because we've all been exposed to so many stories for so many years, I can see things coming a mile away. It's kind of like when you watch when you watch a movie or you watch a show and you see that the camera is closing in on this one character and all of a sudden we have a shot of the window and there's the character in the window, you know, oh, that person's going to jump. And then you're not surprised when that happens. So when you do lack of description and your character is basically going into um, a haunted place that they have never been to before and they're looking around and they can feel that there's some kind of presence. They can feel some kind of um, what, what's that word that they use when something is overbearing on you. It's like this. I, I don't I, I don't know. There's there, there's a word. For I don't it. know. I can't think of it. 
<laughs> I know what you mean, though. Hopefully everybody yeah. else knows what you mean. <laughs> yeah, there's this kind of overbearing presence. And how do you describe that? How do you how do you explain that to the reader without spoiling too much? You know, at the second the second, you know what the monster looks like. If the monster doesn't look scary, you're going to ruin it. Like that's what happened with the movie signs when they were talking about the aliens before the aliens ever showed up. Everyone was like, oh, my gosh, this is scary. There's crop circles. The crucifix got turned upside down. Uh, all this weird stuff's happening. But the second the alien shows up and you see the computer graphic and the the weird animation where it's com- totally fake, not even like that it's not natural, it's just totally fake, you're like, okay, well, that's not scary anymore. And now, now you've ruined it for me. So it's really important that you you have to keep it you have to keep it secret. You have to keep it unknown. And you can't keep it secret if you don't know what's going on. Because what you're going to end up doing is if you're a pantser, you're going to end up writing it in a way so that you understand it and you're going to end up spoiling it for your reader because you don't know. So that's why you need the guidebook. And I I don't like outlines. I don't like pre-building anything because I I like to go on the seat of my pants. All right, but I've learned the hard way now multiple times that if I don't have something to guide me, if I don't have a little railing, I write myself into a writer's block. I get stuck for eight months and then nothing gets done. And it's it's the worst feeling ever. I remember when I was young and naive, I thought, oh, writer's block isn't real. No, 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 it's it's real. It's very real. It does happen. And it usually happens to pantsers, especially if you're a pantser who has this expectation of like this has to be better than my last story and this has to be better than my last story then you're constantly questioning yourself you're in self-doubt mode you're like uh this scene doesn't work i don't understand this i i got stuck on a very simple thing how does my protagonist get income and that stumped me for months i'm like wait a second wait hold, hold on hold on we've got a we've got a haunting of some sort and someone's coming to this guy to investigate but this is his first case so where did he get the money to have an office where's his office how did they find out about his service where and and all these things started coming up as questions and it just roadblocked the entire writing process and that's when i realized okay this is what i need the guidebook for i need to establish all of these things ahead of time where did he come from who were his parents how did he get money for this office? Where is this office located? How did the people find him? You have to build all these things so that when the reader gets in, they're just falling on. It's like, okay, this person just hired him and they're going off on an adventure. But you know, okay, well, he's got money because this donation was received or he previously worked as a homicide detective and had some savings. Whatever it is, you have it all filled out. And now you can continue writing your story and making it all come together. I have to say, when you mentioned signs, which I haven't seen in ages, I remember that movie freaking me out a little bit. And then, as you said, as soon as you saw him, it was like, eh. And it reminded me of the movie. I'm totally just derailing this. The movie, The Darkest Hour, where, I don't know if you've seen it, where there's like a group of people and there's an alien invasion and people are kind of just vaporizing or turning into dust and you can't see what's attacking them. And it's quite... It, it kind of gets a little stressful because you don't know who's going to get attacked because you can't see who's attacking you. And then toward the end, it shows what they, what they actually look like. It was like, oh, that's rubbish. You, you didn't need it. It was brilliant for saying that. We figured out that there is something there. I don't know if they use some sort of like electronics to figure it out. But that was enough. They could have just left it at that saying like, it, the panic was who's going to go now because you don't see where the bad guy is coming from and it's the same when you like monster movies and they do like the light casting against the teeth or the poles in the in the mud and you just get pieces and it gets you that oh it's gonna come and then you see it and you're like oh is that it oh yeah okay not that great and yes yeah, i think you can do too much and go the other way so yeah i just th- had to throw that in yes you guys exactly. are killing me you <laughs> I just, I just want to say, I have to say this because Ari claims I don't watch any movies. I have seen Signs, watched it once, scared the crap out of me, <laughs> never watched it again, even when the aliens were revealed. 
scared the crap out of me. Never watched it again. And you guys are like, yeah, once they revealed the aliens, eh, whatever, not scary anymore. No, still scary. They looked weird and creepy. That's all <laughs> I got to say. Yeah. So <laughs> you get it. You you guys see it that for some people, even after you see the alien, it's still scary. But for other people, it's like, OK, it's not scary anymore. Another movie that I saw recently was called Hereditary. That one, this one was scary for me because it talked about mental illness, basically. Uh, it, it pretty much suggested that the mom was schizophrenic and she was doing things that were putting her children in harm's way. And she would tell she would tell her husband, like, no, I'm, I'm I swear to you, I saw my mother standing in the corner. I know she's dead. I know she's dead. But I promise you, she was standing in the corner and she was looking at me. And when I turned around, she was gone. But then I found this box. I found this box. See, and in this box, there was a bunch of uh, witches pictures and all these other things. So I think she was dabbling in stuff. And the entire time, you as the viewer, you don't know if that's real because they're they're implying that it's mental illness. But you're seeing it from the perspective of, you know, the characters. So. They're thinking like, is this real or is this not real? You're constantly questioning back and forth. And that movie is also scary. So, you know, if you don't like scary movies, I would <laughs> I would avoid watching that one because it is it is pretty scary, in my opinion. And I'm I'm a tough cookie to crack. And that's that's also what pretty much even got me into horror is that I actually do not scare easily there. There's a lot of things you can throw at me. I've been through a lot of life experiences where you're not going to. You're not going to get the jump on me that easily. You're not going to really scare me. So for me to find something that actually gives me the creeps and makes me feel uneasy, that's actually quite an achievement. And the only movies that pulled that off were like Aliens, Hereditary, and The Conjuring, which was that that one. Oh, <laughs> I, I could only the watch it series one. series of those. The Conjuring, The Conjuring 2, The yeah. Nun, all. Wait, am I in the wrong one? Which one's The Conjuring? It's The Conjuring one with the red-faced devil. I think that one is insidious. That's it. Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. They they are creepy. I had to, my partner had to watch them and then tell me, and then he'd be like, right, don't be ready. Be ready. (laughs) Because it was, oh, no, too much. Too much. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that's pretty much the gist of the guidebook and all the horror stuff and how that'll pretty much help authors out is that basically it gives them a game plan. It gives them a little playbook that they can draw from where it's like, all right. I need to, I want to explore this area. What kind of cursed relics do I have that I can tap into that I can throw at my protagonist so that way we have a new adventure to go on? I forgot what I was going to say. So Ari, if you have something to add, go for it. No, no. Um, I think it's just the your question that hasn't been asked because uh, I think you actually covered kind of the atmosphere part. So but the third question is kind of done. So it's just your aspect one. We already covered that too. That, um, our own fears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wilmar just rolled with it. I mean, you just, you were the host. This is great. (laughs) I don't know if that's bad or good. No, no, it was great because you just, Ari and I are always like, segue. And you just seamlessly just kept going. It was great. It it can sometimes be hard to try and get to the next question, depending on how the guest answered it or or whatever. So sometimes it's kind of like, um... But yeah, no, it just, everything sort of smoothly led in from one thing to the other thing. So... Um, I did okay, because like I... you saw in my newsletter, I was like, I want to get rid of these stupid uhs and ums <laughs> to a minimum and I, just you did. Yeah, make it no. a better experience. The, uh, the the first one was a great experience. You're too hard on yourself. It was I good. Know. It's one of the episodes we actually list in our FAQ page for people to go and listen to, to know what it's like to be a guest. We've got like four of them and it's the good... Not that everybody's is a bad episode, just throw that out there. <laughs> but there are some episodes that we find that are stronger and it just makes it easier for guests. I'm going to stop talking because I don't want to offend anybody. So, <laughs> Ari, you have editing well, power. Don't forget that. Yep. <laughs> editing. You know what? I actually am going to ask one more question, though. What are some interesting, like, subgenres for horror that you would explore? Or, like, that would, like, what are some other genres that, like, go well with horror? Hmm. That's a great question. I really have to think about that. Ha! I stumped you. <laughs> I'm just thinking in terms of like building the horror universe, like what other like elements would you shoehorn in there, I guess? I remember that I was reading a book, uh, Felicia Day's like little autobiography, and it's not a scary book. It's just a nonfiction book about gamer geek 
who decided to get into acting and all sorts of stuff. But there was one passage that I thought was terrifying. And it was, I don't know, you know, if you release your controversial opinion on the internet, people come after you. So in the book, she mentioned that uh, someone had leaked her private address, her home address, and they started sending, you know, packages and letters and death threats and all that kind of stuff. And that is terrifying to me to think that you could just make one offhand, stupid little comment that doesn't reflect you as an individual. It's just your opinion on something. And people can get so angry that they're going to literally track you down, find your address and send threats to you and the people you care about. So that kind of stuff, I think, would work in horror because if you wanted to take a break from the paranormal, you can always throw in this curveball. So so for the, the universe I'm building, it's mo- mainly focused on paranormal, right? We're, we're focusing on ghosts, spirits, demons, that kind of stuff. But it's also about the investigation. It's about the detective trying to figure out, all right, is this place really haunted or is this a Scooby-Doo thing? And I'm going to pull off the mask and it's like, hey, it's Mr. Brimsley. What's he doing here? So that that was one of the curveballs I was thinking I could throw into those stories at some point where it's like the detective investigates it. They get to the bottom of it and it's like, I have some bad news. It's not haunted. They did some bad things here. That's something that you can throw in as a different element where it's like, wow, there's no ghosts here. This was literally just an act of evil from regular people, which is even more disturbing because at least with demons and a ghost, you expect something bad to happen. But when it's human beings, you never expect them to be that cruel or that evil or or that malicious. So those psychological thrillers and all those things, they, they can all definitely play a role. But if you're like, if you're focused on like one theme, so for me, paranormal, I kind of have to make sure to kind of stay in that lane if that's kind of what I'm going for. Because if you start to offshoot into the different branches and you're not confident in it, you might not be able to do it justice. And then readers are like, well, I was kind of expecting there was going to be a ghost reveal here. And instead you went into this whole diatribe of a different genre that I had no interest in. So, you know, there's a there's a fine line to walk. You kind of have to set your boundaries so that way, you know, your readers know what to expect. I'm going to go slightly off topic. Like with with the Silver Ninja, I did that experiment where I focused less on the superhero part and more on the character development for the sequel. And people were kind of like, I mean, it was good. But like she didn't suit up to kick people's butts as frequently as I wanted. And I'm like, noted. That makes sense. So once you kind of set up what you're going to focus on and what your genre is going to be, you pretty much got to stay within those rules. And if you happen to be a prolific writer, then you can totally jump out and like, you know what, we're going to try this. We're going to try this version of horror. We're going to try this and that and do it as a one off to see how the audience responds to it. And if you happen to be really good at it, then you can explore it. But for me, as not a prolific writer, I definitely have to focus on what people are expecting until I can get faster. So that way, if for some reason it does take me two years or three years to get a story done, which I know is terrible, terrible time. But if it does take me that long, I've at least delivered on the expectations that the audience has, which is the superhero is going to power up and the detective is going to find a ghost, a demon and solve a mystery and pretty much go from there. That's a solid answer. Cause I think a lot of people forget about that, that you do have to do that market research and you got to, you know, focus on your target audience more so than what you want to do, which that can be a fine line as well. Yeah. When it comes to, when it comes to like branding yourself, you know, what would the authors and writers always say? I want to write what I like. Well, of course, yes, you do want to write what you like. But you also have to consider that if you've already written and you've already published, well, now that group of readers is going to look for more stories like that. So if you decide you want to go into a different genre or you want to explore something else, well, then you better come up with a pen name because when people come in looking for a superhero story and they find a horror story, they're going to be like, what happened here? One of the things I'm toying with is is coming up with a pen name, which 
in the past, I was like, what's the point of a pen name if you could just Google it? And it's like, oh, it turns out, hey, it's Wilmar Luna. Bill Moon is Wilmar Luna. Hey, it's a big surprise. But that just becomes a branding, a change in branding, whereas like Bill Moon presents. And now you have your horror universe. Or if I do a, a military type of genre, it would be Whiskey Lima. Is Wilmar Luna in the NATO, NATO alphabet, right? Whiskey Lima presents uh, special activities division or something like that. So if you're going to explore the other genres and you're going to go like deep, you're probably going to have to do a little bit of rebranding. So that way your current readers, if they don't want to follow you on the horror journey, because I know I have a I have a hardcore fan, a super fan who wrote me a letter and said, yeah, I don't really like vampires and werewolves. So I'm probably not going to read it. And I'm like, that's totally cool. I 100% understand. I will let you know when the next Silver Ninja story comes out. So you're, you're pretty much going to have different audiences. And you can see, you can literally see, like, if you follow any YouTubers, as soon as they try something new, where they're like, all right, I know we did gameplay reactions, but now we're going to do movie reviews. Then everyone comes in and is like, why are you doing movies review? Who, who are you? Who do you think you are? This is stupid. And then you just get trolled. And you can stay the course and eventually you'll build that audience but you're ba you're basically once you decide that you're going to explore something completely different from what your audience expects you're pretty much going to take a you're going to take a hit and people are going to be like yeah i don't like this direction i'm not following this person anymore they're doing stuff i'm not interested in i'm out be be uh, be aware that this is what will happen it's a little sad actually that that happens it's it's almost as if like readers get connected to an author and then just assume that right well I only like this so that's all I expect you to do rather than understanding that a lot of authors are multi-genre and like yeah I, I agree if you're doing something really separate I can understand why you would get a separate pen name if you're doing maybe urban fantasy and traditional fantasy which is what I do I am not getting a pen name I have one I have one website I am not faffing about with that but if I then moved to something really different that was like completely different for branding, like if I went to do like uh, epic sci-fi, that's quite different from where I am. So I would probably either slap that on a separate page or amend my name a tiny bit or something to, to separate it out. Because as you say, reader expectation is important. And for, for some reason, it's like, it's very sweet that that person messaged you. I mean, in the end, it's like, not every book is for everyone. You know, there's authors where I go, oh, my God, I love this series they wrote. Like, oh, did you read that other one? It's like, no, it's not for me. It's just not for me. That's not going to stop me from following them because they might write something else that I really like. And I don't mind giving it a try. But if I find I read book one, no, I don't like that. I'll just leave yeah. it. You know, this is why I use the library or I get an ebook, and then I'll try the first one. And if I like it, then I will buy the paper copy and I will buy the rest of them. If I don't, then it's just, well, it's done. It's fine. But this attitude that's like, well, you know, well, everyone expects that you need to be doing only that or if, you know, it upsets people. I understand that if you do it in the series, because I've seen that, where you're mm -hmm. following a series and it's very specific. And then suddenly I'm in the middle of the one of the books or it starts to lean towards something else. And you're like, OK, I came for the action and now we're just just romancing it up and there's no action. And it's just romantic drama. Yeah, that sort of thing. And you're thinking... Yeah, that was totally different from the, you know, you're in the same series. These characters were traveling around and going on adventures. And now they're sitting around talking about their feelings for five books. I'm so bored. So definitely don't do that. I don't agree with switching up in a series. But if you want to write romantic drama, do that and tell people because you might get new fans. But yeah, definitely don't do it in the middle of a series. I don't have any other follow up questions or anything else to add. I had one, but I've lost it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come back to you after we we're done recording and then you'll be like, ah, but yeah, that's what yeah. it was. And I just want to throw in a quick ad from earlier. I love the alien movies, the original alien mm. movies, the first, yes. the first two, the third one was, yes. uh, and the fourth one was, uh, and it just kept getting worse. But Correct. I have to say the face hugger was terrifying, is, is terrifying because it looks like a giant spider. And what do I, I what it. am I scared of? Spiders jumping at your face. And they yes. literally went, it's going to jump on your face. Yes. You know, Ugh. they're Ugh. terrifying. I hate the, I hate the face huggers, especially in the, in the first movie, it's on the guy and you can see it breathing. It's little, Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. The special oh. effects teams get kudos for that. 
And also the Resident Evil game has giant spiders too. Oh, so, yeah. Can't play and they go up on their hind legs and charge at you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. So <laughs> I also have a fear of unnaturally large insects, but luckily those are not real. So I don't have to worry about that <laughs> unless I go I've, to Australia. Have you seen the camel spider? <laughs> I think that's the I, one that, that runs at you because it goes to your shadow in the desert so it will run at you because it needs that dark space of the shadow it's like see you can just, just don't go to the desert don't go to australia no in the self. rainforest you know. don't visit that area nope. <laughs> this conversation was going so well guys <laughs> sorry it I is horror we should be talking about know, clowns and, and, and rats <laughs> and anything else that people are scared of um oh man but yeah, okay. I, I can't think of any other questions. I think that was really good. I think we covered loads of different stuff and we kind of scared each other silly with movies that we that, that scare us and all sorts. So Yeah, this but, was fun. But to be fair, it's uh, again. Wilmar, it has been brilliant having you back on talking about horror. It's like creeping us all out. We love it. Before you go, please do share some stuff with our listeners about yourself. All right, friends. So I'm currently working on a horror short story called The Darkness at Home. Uh, I also happen to write superhero stories. So if you want to check those out or any of the new artwork that I've uploaded on Displate that's currently for sale, you can visit me at thesilverninja.com. And thank you guys for having me. Oh, it was our pleasure. We'll probably get you back on again. We'll be like, come on again, come on again. Might be in another year or so. <laughs> probably. <laughs> that's only because we record so far in advance. I mean, like literally this, we're recording this in September and I, I believe when it goes live, it's November. So yeah, we are very yeah, I think uh, you mentioned December or Is like it December? The, it yeah, December. Beginning of December. Is it yeah. December? I don't, Happy I don't, holidays, I don't know. everyone. <laughs> oh, like, Merry Christmas, guys. Let's talk about <laughs> creepy crap. <laughs> hey, Krampus is a great scary Christmas movie, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Wilmar's links and all the details will be in the description below, so do go and check those out. In the meantime, we'll turn it over to you guys. Do you write horror? Do you read horror? What do you like or hate about horror? Put the answers in the comments below so we can chat. Remember, we release new episodes every Wednesday. Next week, we'll be discussing seeing your book idea at the bookstore. To ensure you don't miss it, hit the subscribe button on your way out. As always, thanks for listening to the Mary Writer Podcast. See you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Half Empty Notebooks. We keep buying more. The music titled Inspired is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0.